BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sorry, I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean exactly that. Free. Switch to Pure Talk today and get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, and 15 gigs of data and a mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash jesse and claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Again, go to puretalk.com slash jesse to switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. I think it's good for us to do a little rewind every now and then and remember how all this began and how we felt in the beginning and why it's not so we can go back and beat everybody over the face with all the mistakes they've made, although that's fun too. The truth is 
We need to look back often, as often as humanly possible, on things we've done, on reactions we had to things, so we can figure out, was that the right way? Was it the wrong way? Did we nail that? Did we screw that up? It's called an after-action report, and it pays to do. Do one, do one often. Here's the deal. Coronavirus. You and I heard about it early on. You probably don't even remember. I didn't. I had to go back, and I was actually looking through a bunch of notes I'd taken on my phone. We heard about coronavirus before it came out here. It just didn't... We never in our right minds viewed it as something that was going to hammer us the way it has. It was just a thing. I mean, okay, China's got a virus. Oh, man. Oh, that stinks. I, I hope they get it figured out. I don't want anyone in China to die. Oh, wow, some people are dying over there. Oh, there are some rumors. Some rumors that it's really bad. And I'll never forget, when I first started to get really creeped out was when somebody said there are incinerators in Wuhan and they're working overtime, and they were doing satellite imaging over, over Wuhan. And there were all of a sudden all these flames around Wuhan that weren't there before. We never have got confirmation on this. So all this may be garbage, but I think we all know what happened. And somebody was getting really alarmed that the Chinese government had something bad on its hands and covered it up. And then it came here. Of course it came here because China is still shuttling people on out of Wuhan. Hey, one-way tickets to New York. And they're closing down the travel inside of their own country. Never mind that blatant biological warfare. Never mind. It gets here. And we start to get some cases break out. And we aren't sure what to make of this yet, right? But then almost immediately, the fear started. Well, it could be this. It could be that could be a biological weapon. Oh, what if this? What if that? And remember there was that study that came out? Someone put out a study, and it had a word, 50 million. And everyone's like, what? What? 50 million? 50 million could potentially die worldwide from this. And everybody lost their minds. All of a sudden, this was the second coming of the Black Death. All of a sudden, we were all going to die, right? 50 million. And of course, our media, who I've told you time and time again, is actually bad for the United States of America. It's a net negative. It helps tear the country down. The media gets off on this right away. What? 50 million? Fire up the presses. Woohoo! This is a great day. And they started pumping it out there in fear and fear and fear and fear. And then the government started to get involved. And yes, President Trump had a lot of people whispering in his ear, 50 million people dead, millions of people dead, maybe one or two million dead Americans. Remember we kept hearing that? One or two million dead Americans? And Donald Trump, as much as I've criticized his original coronavirus response, one does have to sympathize. Can you imagine your president of the United States? I'm sorry, how many people are going to die on my watch? Two, two million people? Yeah, let's not, let's not do that. As you can imagine, that would be a difficult decision to make. So he brings in these, in these medical experts. You know, let's bring in, bring in Fauci. Everyone says he's really smart. And Fauci steps up and says, look, we got, we need to lock down. And the president starts putting out these press releases, starts letting Dr. Fauci get up there and put out these press releases. And now, now the governors and mayors, they're all over this, right? 
Because if the president doesn't want two million people dead on his watch, then a governor or a mayor, I mean, they can't have, they can't have half their citizens dying, so they're locking everything down. And then little bits of truth right about at that point in time started sprinkling out there of, okay, this is, this is serious. These people are still saying it's really bad, but these numbers aren't adding up. But one million, two million, these aren't, it doesn't look like this at all. And then the real information starts coming and starts coming and starts filtering through and you're finding out things like, this virus is not really dangerous at all to young people. In fact, for the most part, what we've seen, what we see now, not only do you have to be old, you have to be old with pre-existing conditions. And don't get me wrong, I'm not acting like coronavirus is nothing. It's killed over 100,000 Americans. You're old with pre-existing conditions. You really don't want this thing. But most of the population is not at a great risk of it. And we're finding this out, and now the truth is coming out now. And I feel like Americans, for the most part, definitely you, if you watch this show, are starting to wake up and realize, okay, that's not good, but we'll get our arms around it. They're already getting some treatments for it. We'll figure out how to protect the older folks. Lord knows we don't just want to chuck them in the trash can. We'll be fine. And that was pretty early. That was two, three, four weeks into this thing max. There was enough truth out there, and people realized, we're fine. All right. Woo! Glad that wasn't as bad as they said it was going to be. You know, I'm sure you remember. I was there with you. Only, wait a minute. What do you mean we're ramping up restrictions? Wait, what? You you told me in the very beginning it was 15 days to slow the spread. Do you remember? I, I remember. 15 days to slow the spread. 15 days to slow the spread. That's all they had to say. Well, three or four weeks, we've slowed the spread. Hospitals were not overwhelmed. We built an over $50 million impromptu hospital down here in Houston. They tore it down without ever having seen a patient. It just didn't happen. It didn't do anything it was supposed to. And yet, restrictions didn't slow down. Restrictions ramp up. They're ramping up. They're ramping up. And now we're looking around thinking, wait, do these people know something I don't? Or is there something else going on here? And they didn't stop. They kept ramping it up. You're not allowed to do this. Close this business. Close that business. Whoa, you can't go to the beach. Oh, I better not catch you hiking. We're throwing pastors in handcuffs. We're arresting a man for paddleboarding in the middle of the ocean. There's all this heartbreaking news out there about people losing their livelihoods. We're hearing about percentages of small businesses closed, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem real. And I really started to wake up. About a month into it, I really started to realize, and I'm mad at myself for not realizing it earlier. This whole thing's about politics. This entire thing has been used for, pol- for political reasons. And As big of a cynic as I am, I don't want you to be like me. I know I'm a bad person. I know I'm a sociopath without feelings. You stay a good person. But as big of a cynic as I am, I was even fooled in the beginning. Well, surely they're just going to get their arms around it. Now, I hated the lockdowns from the beginning. Everybody knows that. But I at least thought, wow, I mean, the people doing these stupid things, they're they're just dumb. They're just screwing something up. They don't know. 
They know. They knew. They're perfectly aware right now these lockdowns are not doing anything but cause pain and misery. We are several months into this now. Remember, we're talking back in April. We're several months into this now. And there is evidence everywhere. I went to community college and I can read this evidence of states that locked down versus states that didn't. Countries very restrictive versus countries that weren't. And you know what the difference is? Nothing. Virtually nothing. This is not a virus that they've been able to stop or slow down. It hasn't spread like wildfire and wiped out whole nations, but they haven't locked it down, not with your stupid cloth face mask, not with your standing six feet away from this person. Nothing has stopped it. And they know. Because it's been done on purpose. Because the truth is this. The Republican Party blew this early on because they're dumb and cowardly. The Democrat Party jumped on that train very early on and realized, screw the people. We can take away the one major thing that's going to guarantee Donald Trump's re-election, the economy. It's hard to think about that now, right? You realize up until all this coronavirus nonsense, Donald Trump may have been the greatest economic president in the history of the United States of America. That's how amazing our economy was. It was just it was one big boom. It was amazing. We couldn't, we couldn't contain it with this juggernaut. And Democrats, they realized what it is. Look, sure, we can destroy lives. Sure, we can destroy livelihoods. We can cause great depression levels of unemployment. Speaking of depression, we can cause suicide hotline numbers to be overwhelmed. They were and they are, by the way. We can fill up America's drug and alcohol rehab centers as people relapse from the lack of communication, lack of a job, lack of a direction. Sure, we can do all that, but who cares? If we hurt the economy and get back to presidency, that's all that really matters. They're doing this on purpose. Every single thing you see now, it's being done on purpose because there's plenty of truth out there now. And boy... Isn't that a sad, sad state of affairs? I mean, man. Oh, they're not stopping. They're not slowing down. Here's Joe Biden. This is not about Democrat, Republican, or Independent. It's about saving Americans' lives. So let's institute a mask mandate nationwide, starting immediately, and we will save lives. The estimates are we'll save over 40,000 lives in the next three months if that is done. I'm sorry, a mask mandate? Who do you think you are? You don't have any authority, any authority in this country to tell me to wear a mask as president of the United States. This is not like everywhere else. In this country, the president tells you to wear something, you tell him to go screw himself. And you know what? Nobody can do anything to you about that. That's called being a free American. Donald Trump had this to say. Today we saw Joe Biden continue to politicize a pandemic and to show his appalling lack of respect for the American people. That's what it is. At every turn, Biden has been wrong about the virus, ignoring the scientific evidence and putting left-wing politics before facts and evidence. Sleepy Joe opposed both the China and the 
Europe travel bans. You know that. He opposed the China travel ban that I instituted very early and the Europe travel ban that I instituted quite early. If he had followed, if we went after and uh, listened to his advice, hundreds of thousands more people would have died. This is according to many people. I believe that uh, Dr. Fauci agreed with that. He said that uh, President Trump made a great decision when he put the ban on China. To Joe, I would say stop playing politics with the virus. Too serious. Partisan politics is no place here. It's a shameful situation for anybody to try and score political points while we're working to save lives and defeat the pandemic. It is shameful. It is. Man, I thought I was a sociopath. I can't imagine being a governor, mayor, Democratic nominee for president of the United States of America. And even though I know I'd be a lousy politician, I'd be corrupt. I'd only care about myself. I know all that. I still don't think I'd be able to look out at everybody I'm over and say to myself, ah, screw them. We just care about power. That's a new level of sick. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I am right. We'll be back. Joining me now is Joseph Pinion III. He is the chair of the Conservative Color Coalition. Joseph, does color matter to Democrats to you, or is it friend. something they act? <laughs> it's good to see you, buddy. Is it, does color matter to Democrats or is, is, is it something they pretend that matters? What I mean by this is Joseph or Joe Biden gets himself in a bind. He says, I have to pick a woman. Uh, then I have to pick a black person. All right, it's going to be a black woman. And so he's got all the woke boxes checked. Does the Democrat base actually care? Or is this something the people at the top have convinced themselves they actually care? Well, look, I, I will say this. I think that Joe Biden did put himself in a bit of a trick bag. I think his intention was to pick Amy Klobuchar. And then obviously in the wake of George Floyd's, he no longer was a tenable uh, candidate. Uh, for most of the Democratic base. And so I think he found himself in kind of no man's land uh, where we had to triangulate and, and find a more suitable running mate. Now, having said that, I will say uh, that Democrats obviously are more interested in black votes uh, than the interests of black people. Uh, but there is a large, robust portion of African-American women who do feel as if somehow this pick is validation for years and years of loyal service to the party years of them not feeling as if they have been seen. So I do think that that is going to be a vital component of what Democrats try to appeal to in their effort to try to boost turnout numbers on, in their favor uh, heading into the last uh, back half of the 2020 election cycle. Joseph, walk me through that way of thinking. I, I, I doubt very much it's your way of thinking, but uh, help me relate to that as far as, you know, validation, payback. Okay, let's say Kamala Harris is VP, uh, Joe Biden gets elected, and I'm not hoping for anything bad to happen to Joe Biden. I'm not that type of person, but let's say, God forbid, something does, his mind to totally leaves. Kamala's the president. You say black women want this. 
what do they want from it? Do they did they want a new government program? Do they just want to watch her on TV? Is there something tangible they actually want from it? Well, look, I, I think that it, it's two parts, right? I, I think obviously on some basic level, there are things that people want to see from a policy standpoint. But I do think that there is a notion um, that a nation as old as our nation, um, a nation where you can have the incalculable contributions that people of color have made to the United States of America, that it is uh, not just symbolic, but it does have a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding. Uh, for individuals to feel as if somehow somebody that looks like them who has a shared type of experience finally has reached this pinnacle. So um, I, I think it would behoove Republicans uh, to focus not on the identity politics that Republicans, that Democrats want to focus on, but to focus on the actual policies. If you're going to go after Kamala Harris, go after her for the fact uh, that she has a dismal record when it comes to criminal justice, um, that as uh, Tulsi Gabbard so articulately uh, put into words on that debate stage, uh, had the opportunity to do many of the things that people are in the streets right now uh, protesting for in the name of Black Lives Matter, and she failed to do those things. So I think that that um, is a much more uh, cogent approach to making sure that there is an argument to be made against what many people do see um, as a really serious and, and, and monumental moment in time, because she is the first black woman um, to appear on a ticket uh, for a major party in these United States of America. Joseph, you're outside of the D.C. media bubble. So am I. I. I think it gives maybe not necessarily a better perspective. That sounds a little uppity, but I think it gives us both a different perspective. That's for sure. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris come out in favor of a national mask mandate. I look at that and I think about the family I have here. I think about the friends I hang with here. And I look at that and I thought to myself, well, that's guaranteed to lose the election. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Am I wrong? Is that something that's going to be music to the ears of a lot of people? That sounds stupid to me. Uh, look, I think America is founded on the principle of freedom. Uh, that freedom is the freedom to worship as you please. That freedom should also be the ability to go to a restaurant if you want to go to a restaurant. I mean, here, you know, we've had President Trump be mocked uh, for any manner of suggestion that he has made as it relates to COVID-19. And yet here we are in New York City. Um, we've got restaurants that are being forced to stop serving people uh, at 11 p.m. as if somehow the social distancing that worked at 10.58 p.m. stops <laughs> working at 11.01 p.m. Uh, I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. And I think that it's laughable until you realize we're talking about, you know, the really the, the backstop uh, for the New York City economy, 300,000 jobs. Um, they come out of nightlife. You're talking about $38 billion in economic productivity, which has been decimated. Um, you look across this country, over 100,000 business, small businesses that have closed their doors forever. Um, over 40% of African-American businesses, small businesses nationwide, have closed their doors forever. Um, so these kind of you know, ham-fisted policies uh, towards COVID-19 are having a serious impact on everyday working people. And I think as a party, instead of trying to really, you know, talk about fighting Democrats where they want to wage the battle on identity politics, uh, on, on the issue of race and reconciliation, if we just start talking about the fact that what is good for people in New York should also be good for people in California. And that means that we need to actually focus on policies that are going to actually make sure that there is an America to come back to as we try to get ourselves out of the grips of this global catastrophe.
You brought up businesses, and I have made this argument that I, uh, while I know the media loves a race war, that's just, they're all about that. The Democrat Party loves that. I've argued this is much more a class war type thing, this coronavirus lockdown stuff. It is the little guy who's gotten crushed. It is the working man. It's the hotel worker. As you mentioned, it's the bar owner. It's the nightclub. These people, the hospitality industry has been completely destroyed. And the reason we continue getting these mandates here and lockdowns here, it's because all the politicians don't have to live under these rules and they're all still getting a paycheck and the working man is the one getting screwed. I think this is a class war thing. Well, look, I think, again, President Trump needs to remember who put him in the White House if he's going to be victorious um, in approaching under 80 days here. Uh, the people that put him in the White House you're talking about, he got 64% of non-college educated white voters across this country. Now, if you look at where his approval ratings are starting to slump the most, he's down anywhere from 7% to 10% with that same subset of individuals. And that is because those individuals are the ones who are the most deeply impacted um, by this COVID-19 crisis. You're talking about 50% of people who do not have a college degree have been materially impacted by loss of wages um, in their grips of this COVID-19 crisis. These are the things that I think the Republican Party should be focusing on. And so when you have Mitch McConnell telling people that they're lazy and they don't want to go out to work because they want to get $600 as if the only reason that they qualify for that $600 in the first place was because they were working, because the people that weren't working don't qualify. Um, I think it's a, it's a nuance in messaging that is off. Most Americans respect the dignity of work and the people that respected the dignity of work the most were the people who cast their vote for President Trump four years ago. And so I think they feel forgotten, they feel unseen. And I think if President Trump stopped focusing on what Democrats want him to focus on and focus on what he has often called the silent majority, those individuals who now have bank accounts that have been overdrawn because that check for $1,200 ran out a long time ago, those benefits have now been cut off. And we've got people in Congress going on vacation while Americans don't know how they're going to keep a roof over their head. Are you trying to say you're still not living high on the hog with $1,200 you got two months ago, Joseph? Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, I'll, I'll tell people this. Look, the reality is that you know, I think we've got people in D.C. that either have never been poor or were poor so long ago they've forgotten the everyday realities of what that means. Um, and so, again, when you've got a bank account uh, that is overdrawn to the tone of a $35 overdraft fee uh, for a $9 transaction, you've got another overdraft fee for $55 for insufficient funds on, a, you know, on, a, on an automatic withdrawal uh, for a bill you have no idea how you're going to pay. These are the issues that we should be talking about. And you can find these issues being discussed nowhere on the airways. I mean, for a party as Democrats who are so focused on poverty all the time, I mean, no one is actually talking about the people who have been flung into poverty as a result of COVID-19. And what are we going to do to make sure that America is still a preeminent force for good, for justice, as we head into this 21st century world? Because sovereign debt is going to be a, a kitchen table issue where we're talking about two years from now, the amount of money that all of these nations are printing off like printing presses. How do you manage that debt? How do you put people back to work? How do you get money back into the pockets on Main Street? Because we know Main Street dictates the eventual outcomes on Wall Street, no matter how many times Steve Mnuchin prints trillions of dollars of paper and corporate paper uh, to prop up those gains. I say it every time it comes on. We need this guy in public office. Joseph Pinion III, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. <laughs> thank you so much, man. Talk soon.
Be good. He's right. All right. Joining me now is Katie Grimes. She is the editor of the California Globe and co-author of California's War Against Donald Trump. Katie, I am so glad you are joining me today because I've noticed this from the beginning of his presidency. California seems to be as committed as D.C. to stopping Donald Trump. Why? Uh, boy, you ask a good question. You're right that they have announced, uh, I think almost the minute that Donald Trump uh, said he wanted to become president, California declared war on him and they have made sure to pass every imaginable piece of legislation, countering legislation that he or executive orders that he put, signs in uh, Washington. So if he signs something to you know, end DACA or you know, build the wall, California has a countermeasure for it. Plus, we have our attorney general who's got something like 60 lawsuits against the Trump administration. Why? Because I think they want to destabilize the state of California and hurt the rest of the country. Why? I guess it's hard for probably you and I to put ourselves in that kind of a mind, but why would you try to hurt yeah. your own state? I can maybe understand hurting someone else's state. Go hurt New Jersey. Why would you hurt California? Well, California has the biggest target on its back, Jesse, with, uh, the, you know, we're anywhere between the fifth and the eighth largest economy in the world. And so if you can, if the Democrats can destabilize the state of California, that can cause a lot of damage to the rest of the country economically. Okay. So is this, do you take this as some nefarious plan? Is there some cabal of Democrat geniuses up there in a smoky room trying to figure this out? Or does this just happen to be a bunch of left-wing politicians trying to get elected in left-wing districts, trying to be the next one to one-up the last idiot trying to stop Donald Trump? I think it's a little bit of all of the above. There are definitely the masterminds, and some of them do reside here in California. And then there are those who just love being in office. They love political power. They want to control everything. Uh, they have totalitarian impulses. So being in public office is a very good place for them to be. Um, but there's <laughs> there's definitely an undercurrent of evil. Katie, the COVID nonsense. I have a bunch of friends in California, a bunch of friends who actually love it there. Uh, people don't realize not everyone in California who's a conservative is miserable. They hate the government, but California is such a beautiful place to live. They love it there. However, the COVID stuff is finally starting to break some of these people. And they're like, I'm done. I'm moving. Have you noticed a ramp up in the misery out there? Yes, uh, there has been a tremendous ramp up because every time things start to look like they might open up again, our governor uh, locks everything down, imposes more restrictions, tells us we need to stay in our homes and mask up. Uh, we're supposed to wear masks when we go outside, which is absolutely insane. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely ramping up and it is, I think it's causing conservatives to say, is the nice weather here really worth it? <laughs> Katie, 
Do you think that's only political or are the politicians scared or is this again just more trying to hurt Trump? And I ask it for this reason. I'm in the Houston area and we have some of these idiot restrictions too: wear a mask outside, mask requirements, all these other things. But you, the second you get in a building away from prying eyes, everyone just takes the stupid thing off and life just goes on as normal. So I don't see the people being scared like the politicians act like they are. Are you getting that sense out there? Well, um, I live in a bastion of uh, liberal numbskulls here in Sacramento. <laughs> and consequently, yeah, they, they are masking up everywhere. They're wearing gloves. They're wearing face coverings. They're wearing, yeah, the, the visor thing that goes down. Oh, they're gosh. shrieking when you walk too close to them. It's, it's insane. So your California friends are reporting it correctly. <laughs> okay. Well, you are obviously somebody with a very established career out there. Are you looking around? Um, I do as a uh, defense mechanism and maybe to have a, a safe plan B, but I'm a native and so is my husband. And um, I don't really want to give up without a fight. At some point we will have to assess it. It'll probably be economic, but... Right now, I'm here to stay. Katie, do you get the sense that California can come back? I mean, it's, it's popular in the rest of the country, especially with people on the right. I'm sure I've said it myself. California's gone. California's lost. It's, it's Democrat forever, but nothing really lasts forever. The history of the country says it doesn't. States go red and states go blue. That's just the way the pendulum swings. Could you ever see it swinging back our way? I do, Jesse, because when the Democrats are in control, they always overplay their hand, they always overreach, they, um, uh, they take it too far. They don't know when to call it off and say, hey, this is good, let's just leave it right here. So yes, and I think they're doing it right now between making it absolutely impossible economically for people to afford to live in California, unless you're a billionaire Silicon Valley oligarch, or frankly, if you're a government employee, you're getting paid six figures and you have a six figure pension to look forward to. Um, so yeah, they've overreached in so many areas and now trying to force us to wear masks everywhere is insane. Can you imagine people on the beach wearing masks? Katie Grimes, thank you so much for giving us some time tonight. I appreciate you. Thank you, Jesse. All right, we got a whole lot more. Hang on. Joining me now is Isabel Brown, conservative Gen Z activist and commentator or commenter. Isabel, is it commentator or commenter? I never know what to call people. You know, it's tomato, tomato. I'm sure either are just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you a tomato fan? I love tomatoes, actually, believe it uh, or not. <laughs> all right, well, this may be rough, but we're going to continue on anyway. Okay, I don't know what coronavirus restrictions are like where you are. But I know I'm in the great state of Texas, which is supposedly still a red state, and we are covered in mask mandates, we're covered in business closures, and people in general, the ones I talk to, aren't actually worried about coronavirus. It seems like only the politicians are. Is it like that where you are? 
I am in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, although it's a little hot these days as we head into the end of August. And like Texas, we do have mask mandates in most areas of Arizona. You can't go into the grocery store or anywhere without wearing a mask and gyms and many other establishments are closed across the state. So it is very much still feeling locked down due to COVID-19 here in Phoenix. But like you, I have yet to see a huge population that is very concerned about contracting COVID-19. Now, why are you locked down? I know you have a Republican governor. I know Doug Ducey. I even know him a little bit personally. It doesn't seem like he'd be the type of guy to lock down his state. However, neither did Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. Here we are. What happened? Early on, we were one of the first states in the United States to fully reopen uh, after our numbers started to decrease with new COVID-19 infections. But unfortunately, after we saw a short spike uh, within the new infection rate within our population, we did close everything down uh, earlier this summer and have yet to know what a full reopening date might look like for Arizona. So uh, I was very unexpected for sure from a conservative leader within our state, but we're eager to have an opportunity to reopen soon. Is he catching heat? I, I'll tell you here, Greg Abbott is catching unbelievable amounts of heat, especially in the hardcore conservative circles of which I'm a part of. He's catching a lot. Are, are they breathing down Ducey's neck? Is the Phoenix sun getting even hotter for him? Or is he just enjoying it? I've been hearing a lot of criticism from my fellow Arizonans, and we're definitely pushing for an opportunity to reopen, especially as we get closer to November and the opportunity for people to vote in person, which I know is a concern for Americans across the country with uh, anxious calls by the left from all mail-in voting and no in-person voting to be allowed. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to offer that reality to Americans that we will be protecting their civil rights and that they'll have a chance to vote in person this fall. A lot of people complain about mail-in voting, and a lot of people don't realize in Arizona, I am actually ran for office in Arizona twice, like half the votes were mail in still the case over there. How has Arizona been able to smooth that process out? Well, the electorate is always changing in Arizona. Phoenix is one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, particularly Maricopa County, where Phoenix is located, is the fastest growing county in America. So the electorate looks a little bit different between every single election. We're anticipating many, many mail-in ballots, but also a record number of registered voters going into the polls in person as well. So protecting that civil right will be very important this fall. Where are these people coming from? You're not getting these dirty Californians there, are you? Lots and lots of Californians, but really all across the country oh. as well. Arizona is a place for industry these days. It's exciting to see it grow. Now, I have this argument with friends of mine here in Texas. I'm friends with a bunch of business guys here, and they love hearing new California businesses coming into town, coming into Texas. We heard Tesla's opening up a big factory here, and everybody's all cheering. Woohoo, we got people. I don't like it. Because just because the CEO is coming doesn't mean he's checking with all of his employees to make sure they're not going to vote Democrat anymore. Don't you have some of those concerns in Arizona? Arizona looks to be going awfully purple to me. Absolutely. I'm actually originally from Colorado as well, a state that has had its electorate dramatically changed due to an influx of individuals moving to Colorado and voting blue. No longer is Colorado a very purple state. It's pretty solid blue these days. And I know there's a concern about that in Arizona as well, but I have found that the culture of this state really does stay true to the Wild West. And most individuals who are moving here are looking forward to continuing that culture in the future, not changing it by voting for what they fled.
What's Generation Z? What generation am I? I was born in 81. What is Generation Z? Gen Z is actually poised to become the largest voting block in American history, which is very exciting oh. to know. Um, there's a little bit of argument between when the generation actually starts, but around 1997 is generally the starting point for what makes up a Gen Z individual in America. So we're seeing high schoolers and brand new college students, mostly first time voters, come into the voting pool this year, and it's incredibly exciting. Most people don't know, Gen Z is actually the most conservative generation in the United States since World War II. That's been proven by countless leftist polls, believe it or not. Uh, and I'm looking forward to these young Americans really finding their voice and finding their place in American history. Why are they so conservative? I mean, they're not dirtballs like the boomers, clearly. Why are they so conservative? From my opinion, my generation has really watched millennials in the years before us take the opportunity to speak up, to make a difference, to make a difference in society and really turn that on its head and end up just complaining about what the reality of America is. There has not been a lot of forward movement in the generation right before us. There hasn't been a lot of social change, but rather a lot of complacency. And we're seeing that on college campuses in particular. So from my perspective, Generation Z is excited to actually use their voice to propel society forward, to advance the causes that they believe in and return us to a nation of liberty and freedom for all. You brought up college campuses a couple times. How are college or college-aged people viewing coronavirus? Are they scared to death because they listen too much to the media? Do they not care? Do they wear their masks on when they're doing their Instagram pictures and take them off when it's party time? How do college kids handle this? Well, the most important thing to note is that college is no longer going to look like what we expect it to look like based on years past. College campuses will be a dramatically different reality this fall, and many college freshmen that are moving into their dorms this week are experiencing that for the first time. You're seeing forced mask mandates all across the country for any time you're outside of even your own dorm room, mostly if not all online classes, and a halt to college athletics and extracurricular activities as well. I have yet to hear of one college student who is incredibly concerned about contracting coronavirus, but every day we see a new trending topic on social media about why college should return back to the campus that we know and love, particularly from athletes who are generally healthiest on campus, uh, and they're not even given the opportunity to play their athletic um, activities and sports these days, as we've seen with many, many conferences canceling college athletics and fall sports this fall. So it's incredibly disappointing to see the science is there backing the fact that young Americans and young adults in particular are the least likely to contract COVID-19 in the first place. And we ought to be following the science on this reality rather than the fear associated with the pandemic. Isabel Brown, thank you, man. Thank you. All right, we got more. Hang on. I know that was a whole lot of bad news, but the truth is this. Politicians have used coronavirus as a political weapon for one reason and one reason only. Because we let them. Because they don't fear us. They don't fear us bouncing them from office. And that's what all these people want. That's all they want. They would do and will do anything to keep power and get more of it. Unless you and I start running for office more, 
start getting more involved in politics, not just going out there voting, dragging a friend along, maybe organizing some things. Until we start making these people fear us, they're never going to leave us alone. Let's resolve tonight to make sure scumbag politicians who destroy our livelihoods, let's make sure they fear us. All right, we'll do it again sometime. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, get 10% off. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man who was called Mal Evans. who was on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's your favorite throwback podcast hosts, Jessica Bennett and Susie Banacaram, here to announce a new season of our show, In Retrospect which means a whole new batch of episodes diving into the pop culture moments we love and love to pick apart. From the dethroning of the first black Miss America to the legacy of a lesbian joke from four Kaftan-loving Golden Girls. Listen to In Retrospect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.